Now, the book of Ezra marks an important epoch in God's dealings with his ancient people, the children of Israel. It begins where Second Chronicles ends. And as you can see by comparison here, the first two verses of one book are practically identical to the last two verses of the other book. So you can look back to the, the concluding verses of Second uh, Chronicles 36 verses 22 and 23. Then you cross into the book of Ezra and you will discover that these two verses are practically identical uh, uh, to each other. And in this way, the writer emphasizes the continuity of God's divine purposes. Now, actually, there was a time when the books of Ezra and Nehemiah formed one book in the Hebrew Bible. And the reason for that is very simple. They tell the one story, namely the return of the remnant from Babylon to Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple and the city and the nation. And they really continue the story of God's people from the book of Chronicles. Now, just for your information, let me say that Ezra was a scribe. That's the way he's known in this particular book. He was also a priest, by the way. And Nehemiah, he was a statesman. Just that you know that, you've got information. Now, the two books of Chronicles record the, the death of Saul. They trace the reigns of David and Solomon until the time of the division of the nation in 930. When Solomon died, a son of his took over, arrogant, overbearing, uh, with the result that the United Kingdom uh, was divided. Uh, then they relate the events in the northern kingdom of Israel. So when we mention Israel, we usually think about the northern kingdom, headquarters of Samaria, and then the southern kingdom, that refers to uh, Judah. And that tells the story then from 931 to 586, uh, when the Babylonians came to attack the city of Jerusalem. And the United Kingdom of Israel lasted from about 1050 to 930, and it covered a period of 120 years. And there were three kings who reigned. There was Saul for 40 years, David for 40 years, and then Solomon for 40 years. And the kingdom of Israel came to an end when the Assyrians invaded the <coughs> land, captured Samaria, and took away the people, carrying them away in 722 to Assyria. Now Judah continued for another 136 years until the Babylonian invasion beginning in, uh, well, when it, the city did fall, 586. Now, in spite of the warnings from the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and the defeat of Israel by the Assyrians, Judah continued to persist in rebellion against God. You'd have thought that the southern kingdom would have learned from the demise of the northern kingdom. God sent his servants to minister to them the word of God, but Judah continued on in rebellion against God. The Lord therefore allowed Nebuchadnezzar to march into Judah and to capture Jerusalem. Zedekiah was the king. He was blinded 
and carried away to Babylon, and many Jews were deported with him at that particular time. It was a very sad period in Israel's history. So I've given you a lot of facts already, and it may be hard to get your mind around that, but I feel uh, the need just to give you an idea of what's going on here. And I will be repeating myself and trying to emphasize things so that with the passing of time, you'll get a clearer picture of the situation in the background to this particular book. Now, for our purposes tonight, I have three simple things that I want to mention to you. First of all, we want to think about the removal of the people. The captivity of Judah took place in three different stages. In 606-605, Nebuchadnezzar first invaded the land and took away the king Jehoiakim and leading nobles at that particular time, including Daniel. So that is how Daniel got into Babylon. He was carried away when Nebuchadnezzar came in that first time, that first stage. And Daniel therefore became God's man in Babylon. So that's how Daniel arrived in Babylon. He was only in his teens at that particular time. Then just a few years later in 597 BC, a second Babylonian invasion took place. And the king at that time was a man called Jehoiakim. He was carried away into captivity together with most of the people of importance, that is, including Ezekiel. So this is how Ezekiel got down into the land of Babylon, probably the ancestors of Mordecai. You know Esther, Mordecai, his ancestors probably went down at that particular time. So we can see how God in his providence planted certain individuals down in Babylon to encourage the people, to be a blessing to the people, and to bring to them the word of God. So we can see the sovereignty of God in this whole story. At the same time, we can see something of the chastening of God because his people were chastened and disciplined because of their sinful ways. That's the reason why uh, the northern kingdom came to an end. That's the reason why the Babylonian captivity came into being. So we can see the sovereignty of God, the chastening of God. And then, of course, uh, there is the, the theme of Psalm 23, he restoreth my soul, because the Lord did restore his people, uh, the people of Judah. So we know how Daniel get into Babylon. We know how uh, Ezekiel get into uh, Babylon. And we know something about the ancestors of Mordecai, who will play an important role in the book of Esther. You know that story only too well. Then a few years later, in 586 B.C., the final destruction of Jerusalem took place. And the king at that time was a man called Zedekiah. And uh, he was an evil man. Uh, we read about him there in Second Chronicles 36. And then uh, if you want to read about the final days of Jerusalem uh, and the beginning of the Babylon captivity, read Je Jeremiah chapter 52. He was the final king of Judah, this man Zedekiah. Now, he was placed or he was appointed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar to be the king, and he was given freedom to do that. He had entered, uh, unfortunately, into an alliance with Egypt to throw off the Babylonian power. Uh, that was a very foolish thing for him to do because it was God's will for the people to go into captivity. Uh, so, 
Nebuchadnezzar on hearing this again, uh, he laid siege to the city for about 30 months. And during that time, the food supplies dwindled and the uh, fuel supply, uh, the, the fuel supply disappeared as well. So they had nothing to prepare their meals with. And then the garbage uh, filled the city, they couldn't get rid of it. And that created disease and sickness and so on. And then the city eventually fell in the providence and in the mind of God. God had a purpose in the whole thing. It just worked out according to God's plan. So we might say to ourselves, that's a horrific thing. Why did God allow this to happen? Because he did it in his wisdom to teach us people a lesson. And uh, after the Babylonian captivity, they never resorted again to idolatry. There were idolaters, you see. And then God carried them away for a lengthy period of time. And during that captivity, God worked in them and dealt with them. And that brought their idolatry to an end. So the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem. Terrible scenes followed on from that scene. And at last, the city was sacked. The temple was burned. The temple that they prided themselves in. And then the final deportation took place. So the deportation or the removal of the people therefore took place in three different stages. Now you get in the picture a lot of information, but we've got to study the Bible. That's the only way we begin, begin to learn about it, study it. Discipline the mind to think. Uh, so I have to do a fair bit of study myself for the purpose to teach you so that you will take time to think about how God dealt with his people in the past. He still deals with his people in the same way. He's sovereign in the affairs of his people. When we sin, he's got to chasten us. But he's faithful and he restores when we repent and turn to him. So that's why this story's here. That's why we're dealing with this and this series of messages, how God worked then and how God still works. So we thought about the removal of the people from their own land, the destruction of the temple, the sacking of Jerusalem, terrible deaths, people carried away into captivity, into bondage. So the scene is pretty grim at this time. But then we're going to think about the return of the people. Oh, there was a time when they were carried away, but there was a time when they returned. The return of the remnant at the end of the captivity also was a threefold movement as well. I've got to bring you to the year 538 BC and to a man called Cyrus. And we'll talk about him later on in our studies. He was the king of Persia and he defeated Babylon in 539. So Babylon, the people who carried away the people of Judah, their kingdom came to an end. Remember Belshazzar? Remember what he was doing on the night when he died? It was the Persians under Cyrus who came in and they undergirded the city and they destroyed the city with very little resistance. So Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had mistreated God's people and dealt with them in abysmal fashion. But now God is coming and dealing with them and he's delivering uh, the Babylonians into the hand of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And the following year, 538, after defeating Babylon in 539, he issued a decree which gave the Jews liberty to return. This is an amazing thing, a truly amazing thing. But that's the way he seemed to de deal with other nations that he triumphed over as well. 
He was a wise man, you see. So he said, okay, I'll treat them kindly. I will help them to further their own religion and so on. And that will probably mean peace for me. You see this, the reason behind it all? And so in God's providence, Babylon was dealt with. Babylon fell. God judged Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar or his, his, his people, Belshazzar. And then God raised up this man, Cyrus, who wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian, as we would say. No believer, a pagan. And yet he's the man who issues the decree, allowing the people to return to their own land to build, as he said, a house for God. Because God had commanded him to do that very thing. And so they received this liberty to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Now they were led by a man called Zerubbabel, a small group, under 50,000, uh, 42 uh, people, and then they had servants and so on, under 50,000, took up the offer. Well, there could have been quite a few million uh, who stayed. Just under 50,000 took up the offer and responded, and they returned that particular time, 536 or thereabouts to get back into the land. So Babylon is defeated, 539. The very next year, Cyrus issues the decree allowing the people to return. Led by this man, Zerubbabel. Then, about 80 years later, 80 years later, in 458 BC, a further group, a smaller group, uh, returned under the leadership of Ezra. You see, when Zerubbabel uh, was, uh, led the people back, he was uh, to build the temple. God begins on the inside, and then later on in the days of Nehemiah, God worked on the outside. So there's a, a, something, a lesson for us to learn in this. The inside, the heart needs to be dealt with first. Then when Nehemiah built the walls, he was teaching the separation of God's people. So we've got to get the heart right with God, get right with him, and then we've got to fortify ourselves by building the wall of Jerusalem, uh, the wall of separation, uh, to keep us right uh, with, with God. So worship comes first, and then the walls of separation come next. Uh, so he uh, re returned, and this return was a whole generation after the first. Then later on, in 445 BC, about 13 years after that, Nehemiah, a high official in the Persian court, was given permission. He was the, the king's cupbearer. And that simply, that was a very important role. Because if someone was trying to poison the king, he had this responsibility to test the wine, for example, or to test the food first. So if someone was trying to get out the king, Nehemiah was in a very precarious situation. He had to taste the wine. If it was poisoned, that's him. Farewell, Nehemiah, or some of the food poisoned there. So before the king took that, that was the responsibility of Nehemiah. And in this way, he got close to the king. You see, God had his man there close to the king, his man. God works in mysterious ways, has wonders to perform. He took Cyrus to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. Now he has the man close to the king. And uh, one day appeared sad in the presence of the king. And uh, you could have lost your head for doing that. Uh, and the king says, what's wrong with you? And he prayed. You, you can't hear him praying. He prayed in his heart. Oh, there's a good way to pray as well. Maybe you need to pray right now. Pray in your heart. God bless the preacher. 
here's a good way. He faces the situation, and then he shoots one of those emergency prayers up to heaven. What do I do here? And then he went on to say why he was sad, and then that set an emotional process. <coughs> the whole process. <coughs> and eventually got him to Jerusalem, and inside 52 days, seven weeks, he had built the walls of Jerusalem. It's not an amazing thing. I don't know, we're coming up to celebrate the opening of a new church here soon. I don't know how long it took to get this place erected, <coughs> but the walls of Jerusalem were built in less than seven weeks by this man who got close to the king. You see. God moves in mysterious ways as wonders to perform. And listen, you've got to link the book of Ezra with the book of Nehemiah. You've got to link it with the book of Esther because Esther comes in between the two divisions of the book of, of Ezra. Uh, that's where Esther comes in. You've got to link that with the books of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So if you want to get a complete picture of, of this time frame and what I'm dealing with here, you've got to link all of these books together. So remember that, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, the observance student will note that there are two Exodus movements in the Old Testament. I'm sure you know this. Anyway. I think I've probably mentioned this before. The first one was the Exodus from Egypt. And the second was the Exodus from Babylon with almost a thousand years lying between the two events. So there are two Exodus in the book of God in the Old Testament. And both of these exiles and returns were subject of prophecy, the first, and you can read it for yourself when you go home, Genesis chapter 15, 13, and 14, and then the second, uh, and Jeremiah, two different places, chapter 25, and then chapter 29. So, so we've talked briefly about the removal of the people, so they're away, they're away from their own land. The temple's gone, the city's gone, most of the people are gone, There's, there are a few people left there as well, and then after many years, there's the return. About 50,000 come back to build a temple. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then much later, get the walls up, the walls of separation. There are lessons for us all to learn in these things, the return of the people. And then finally, there's the responsibility of the people. Now, it should be noted, I mentioned this just a moment ago, that there's 80 years uh, that separate the first part and the second part of the book of Ezra. I don't know if, if you're aware of this, but there are actually two parts, uh, chapters one through six. And, and you'll not find the name of Ezra mentioned in these opening six chapters, because Ezra is not even mentioned in the book until the seventh chapter. So you have the first part, chapters one through six, and then you have chapters seven through 10, the second part of the book. And in between, you have that 80 year period, 78, 80 year period of time. That's where the book of Esther fits into the history, you see. God's working. In the book of Esther, God's name is not mentioned, but God's working, you see. You get the picture here? God is working. He's working there in the heart of Cyrus in, in the Persian kingdom. He's working there in the hearts of his own people. He's working in the days of Esther. He's working in the days of, of Nehemiah. God is always working. God is working now. 
for our land, for the good of his people and his church. We may look at the things and say, what a mess. I'm sure the people who were carried away captive to Babylon said, what a mess. When they look back at the city, what a mess. And they had to go. They had to be carried away. But God brought them back again because God had a purpose in the whole thing. The sovereignty of God, the chastening of God, the restoration of God. It's all here for our benefit. So uh, chapters 1 through 6, uh, it's rebuilding the temple walls. That's the responsibility of Zerubbabel. And you know it took him 20 years to build up. 20 years. Because they did make a start. When they returned, they erected the altar and the foundation was not laid and then they moved on to the foundation and then they received opposition. You see, when you begin to work for God, you're going to receive opposition. And they put down their tools and the work ceased. We'll come to that in Ezra chapter 4. And the work ceased and they didn't do anything. They didn't do anything for about 15, 16 years. So they've got the altar, they've got the foundation laid, people are rejoicing, the enemy strikes, put down tools, they triumph. And for the next 15, 16 years, the weeds begin to grow, the faces were sick, and what, what are we going to do now? And then arriving on the scene comes this man, Ezra, and his name means help or helper. Uh, he was a good help to the work of God. Are you a good help to the work of God? Helper. Isn't that an amazing thing? His name means helper. The shortened version of the Hebrew name Azariah, meaning the Lord has helped. He was the helper. In chapters 7 through 10, and that, that covers a very short period of time, about 80 years later. So there's the building of the walls in chapters 1 through 6. Zerubbabel was a descendant of David. He was the only royal person, as far as I can make out, who returned at this time. He was the political head, and along with him came Joshua. He was the high priest. He was the uh, religious leader. And the thing about it is, Cyrus gave back to the people who returned the vast treasure that Nebuchadnezzar had looted from the temple in Jerusalem. That all had been stored in some compartments there, rooms in, in Babylon, wherever they stored those things. And this is an amazing thing. It's the same thing that happened when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. The Lord saw to it that they had plenty of treasures and garments and everything else to build the tabernacle and to do all of these things. And now God sees to it that all the treasures taken from the temple by Nebuchadnezzar were restored to these men to help them in their work of love. And the, the, the king and other people in the land financed that and then the free will offerings from the Jews themselves. So this is how God was uh, undertaking and building his work. Isn't God uh, truly amazing and uh, how God provides for the needs of his people? And then uh, the restoring of the temple, uh, Joshua, or Ezra 7 through 10, due to the ministry of Ezra himself. So we've given you a little bit of the background. The removal of the people, why they were carried away, God disciplined them, God prospered them, God raised up an ungodly man to issue this decree, they returned under Zerubbabel, and he's a type of Christ, we'll come to that eventually. Christ is a great champion of his people and leads his people out of bondage. They're coming up out of Babylon. He restoreth my soul. There it is, again. 
and got his work, the return of the people. And then once they've returned, they had a responsibility. And we as the people of God have got a responsibility. What to do? Well, build up God's work in Korea. Establish God's work in Korea. That's what these people had to do. They had the responsibility to tend to the worship, get the temple organized, get the inside sort of, then get the walls up, the walls of separation, and be the people God wants us to be. And Ezra, as you read to near the end of the book, he insisted that the remnant vigorously separate themselves from all alliances with the surrounding peoples, a wise man on some very good advice. So we'll leave it there. Introduction, part one. We'll come back in the will of God and talk a little bit more about a few other things. I, I just give you a flavor for the book. I trust you'll take time to read it. And may God bless his word to all our hearts tonight for Jesus' sake. Let's go down to our time of prayer. Let's all seek the Lord.